If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. And then within 48 hours, she literally went to every friend, family member and said, you know, I have a superpower, it's dyslexia, what's yours? And with all of her heart, she really accepted that to be true. So even if there's struggles later, she never took it as deficit or that there's something wrong with her. She was just like, this is just, this is my superpower. I'm different, you're different. I'm Raquel, and welcome to Your Own Magic. This is a podcast for the creative and the curious souls out there, and we have hundreds of inspiring guests who have come on to simply share and explore their own magic to help you celebrate and unleash your own magic. We finally have something that I've been wanting for quite some time. It's been on my manifestation list for, man, honestly, years. And I can finally cross it off. We finally have the domain yourownmagic.com. Huge news, huge news. I've wanted this for so long. And so feel free to go to yourownmagic.com and listen to any of the 52 meditations on there as they are now free. And you know, they're kind of old. Some recordings uh, might not sound like the greatest quality. So hopefully in the nearish future, I can record some new higher quality ones, but please enjoy. And yeah, thank you so much for supporting this podcast and also supporting my shop, Eyes of Aspen. We're currently sold out, but I do have some new books and more coming soon. So I'll let you know when new inventory is up. Anyway, this episode is so special. So, so special to my heart for a variety of reasons, which you'll hear in the podcast. But I really love having the brilliant Monica Berg on. This is about the third or fourth time she's been on the show. And this time, though, she comes on to talk about the children's book she wrote with her nine-year-old daughter, Abigail. And it's a book that spoke to my soul, (laughs) the soul of my inner child, and I think may speak to yours in some way, shape, or form too. And if you happen to be a mom out there, no matter how your child learns and operates in this world, I believe this is a book that your child can either connect with or gain a new sense of understanding and compassion for, for others who may learn or see the world differently than they do. Abigail's just like diagnosis inspired Monica and Abigail to explore the unique perspectives of children who do not learn in a typical fashion and 
simply embrace the strengths that they happen to be gifted with. And so in this episode, Monica talks about the experience of celebrating her daughter's unique lens and how this diagnosis has empowered her daughter instead of hindering her in school and in life and the value of teaching all children the different ways children learn to prevent, well, bullying and elevate children's compassion and understanding for one another. And so I also reveal why this children's book was very personal and healing for my inner child. I believe I've talked about uh, my challenges before, especially when I was a kid. You know, I just really lived in daydream land and it did really have a great impact and effect on my classroom life. And so anyway, I think all children would benefit from reading it and learning from Abigail's gift. And so with all that being said, I believe it is time to let the magic begin with Monica Berg. is back. I think this is the third or fourth time. It might be. For sure the third. At least the third. You're definitely one of my most frequently occurring guests then. (laughs) I'm just, I'm so excited to talk about the gift of being different. This is a very special book um, and it resonated with me deeply, Monica. Like I feel like this is all divinely aligned and meant to be because I have a very, I had a very similar situation scenario that Abigail went through growing up and I just, I can't tell you, like I actually had tears and chills reading it because it's something that I feel like my child, my inner child needed at that time. And it would have helped me immensely. And we can get into that later, but I feel like this book is valuable for actually everyone as well, but especially for those that their learning style is flawed, but it's not. You really found, you're such a great mother for encouraging and recognizing that this is actually a superpower and letting her feel that. So man, there's so much to explore there. But Monica, I want to thank you for writing this book with Abigail. Oh, thank you so much. I I do feel like it's such an important message to relay. And uh, the feedback we've gotten have been from both the children, but also parents who feel like they never really had closure on things that happened in their own childhood or they didn't have a parent that advocated for them, and therefore now they're learning how to advocate for their own children. And that this has been a great vehicle to kind of open their eyes and see the other options. Um, you know, very often with really everything in life, it's never really what is happening to us or the situation or the chaos, as you might call it, or the challenge, but rather it's what we think of it, right? What we think about what's happening, because that dictates our experience of it. And so For me, with Abigail, that was really the number one priority. Once we discovered what was really going on with her, before I even had the conversation, I started to research. You know, first I was clear. I'm like, okay, this is completely uh, figureoutable, and it is a gift. And we, the the flaw is not in her, but in the system that we're trying to teach her, right? Mm -hmm. And and that it's a one, you know, one style cookie cutter way. And that's I, I. I want to be part of that voice that is really having that conversation that we are all so unique and so individual and we're meant to be. And therefore, the way that we teach, the way that we are offered information, or even the way we experience people, it's going to be different. And that's what needs to change, you know, not the child. It's not, the flaw is not on the person, right? I have chills right now. Absolutely. Is the school, if I'm just curious, like working around and working with Abigail, the, the way she learns and exploring her creativity and, you know, just helping her out in that way? So I feel really blessed because I know not many people um, have 
have this the same experience in that way. Abby was attending a really uh, great school, and they were also a little bit dumbfounded because, on one hand, you know, in the first grade, second grade, they could see that sh- her critical thinking and um, the questions she would ask, even her answers, were far beyond her years, even far beyond yes. her peers. However, she couldn't read or write very well. She couldn't spell. She was mm-hmm. struggling in math. So they really, at first, they couldn't figure out what was going on. And I think by mid-year um, in the second grade, we all felt her struggle because she kept persevering and persevering, but she was working harder than any second grader I knew was or should. You know, she was, it was a dual curriculum. She was in school from 8 a.m. until four, then she'd come home. She'd have a tutor every day. She'd have two hours of homework and you could see it was wearing her down and it was also wearing her confidence down. So then we got her tested and, um, you know, then we had all the answers and the school was really supportive. And I think also, you know, they complimented my husband and I, because they said, you know, they've had this conversation with many parents, because usually in the second grade, that's when you start to notice these kinds of differences very clearly. And our response was like, okay, you know, what, and they started to talk about other options for schools. And right away, we were like, absolutely. I mean, even though we loved that school, for her, there was a much better school that really just focused on teaching children who are exceptionally intelligent, who also have dyslexia. So it was a no brainer, you know, that she would go to a place that knew how to teach her and address her needs instead of pulling her out of classes and and adding to that kind of stereotype of like, oh, you're in, you know, special ed and, you know, and that's why I, I, I changed, I didn't want to call it a disability um, because most people think a disability is an inability. You know, we need to redefine that word, but I thought that's too hard to do in a children's book. I, I'll wait to have these kinds of conversations, but I really saw it as a superpower, right? And, and usually our superpower is something that's hidden to us at first. That seems like a challenge. I mean, if you look at superheroes, right? Superman, Spider-Man, they, they didn't know what to do with their power at first, right? And it seemed like a deficit, like, oh, what is this? It's actually a negative. I'm so different. I can't belong to this world, right? But that's not the case. It's for us to unpack, really. And you even mentioned how there are so many people, and you let her know this too, so many people who have done great things and accomplished great things in this world that have actually impacted the world, like Steven Spielberg, Albert Einstein. And then she got to see, you know, those superheroes, the capes they wear in a sense, right? And that they're genius and that she has this this herself. And that's such a beautiful, unique thing. And I just, I, I'm so glad that she sees it. Like you said, the perception is everything and that she sees it as a gift because it is. Well, here's what's interesting. But when we started to have the conversation, so she beat me to the punch, right? I was doing research. I was reading books. I really wanted to understand how her mind learned because it was foreign to me as well. Um, and then one day, right before I could have that conversation with her, I think she got diagnosed about a week or two before. And then we had a family situation we had to fly to California for. Uh, my mother-in-law was um, was dying. And so it just that took, obviously, that was the priority then. And yeah. then one night she comes and while we're there and she comes into my bathroom and um, I'm rushing. I'm like, I'm, so, I'm late for something. And she's brushing her teeth before bed. And she said, she just looks in with her her pure little self. And she looks at the mirror, like we're looking at each other as I'm getting ready. And she said, mom, do I need all this extra help because I'm stupid? And my Mm. heart just burst (laughs) into so many pieces. I thought there's no way, you know, I struggled with that. I think we all do. And I had to figure it out. And it took me till this age to say, no, you know, you are, I mean, I started a couple many years ago, but that path of like, you are enough and you are amazing. And you, you know, and I love you. 
um, I was like, this is not, you know, we can, we can get on this. Right. And I, you know, I said, absolutely not. And I, I told her about her diagnosis and, and I could see that she kind of believed me. She wanted to, uh, she sensed bias, perhaps me being her mom. <laughs> then I pulled out this book that I was reading called the gift of dyslexia. And she saw in the margin, it said I had written in red pen, Abigail to a T because it was all the characteristics that a lot of people who have dyslexia th- that they have. And um, her eyes started, then I saw that something was connecting, right? Her eyes started to light up and started to smile. It was like, oh yeah, yeah, I do that. Oh yeah, that's me. Oh, yeah. And then she <laughs> felt like I wasn't just making this up, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I also started to read about notable people who had dyslexia, who did amazing things. Yeah. And, um, and the thing that was really powerful, and that's why we decided to write the book, is that she was able to reframe that and turn that around um, because she trusts me. And I was so grateful, by the way, that she felt close enough to me to ask me that question. I never dared ask my parents, am I stupid? Even if I felt it, right? 100%. Um, I was thinking the same thing. Yep. And then within 48 hours, she literally went to every friend, family member and said, you know, I have a superpower. It's dyslexia. What's yours? <laughs> and with, she, with all of her heart, you know, she really accepted that to be true. Yes. Uh, so even if there's struggles later, she never took it as a deficit or that there's something wrong with her. She was just like, this is just this is my superpower. I'm different. You're different. I love a natural look with some shimmer. I love that lightly soft contour, but add, of course, some shimmer and some blush, some highlighter, a whisk of eyeliner on the outer edges, and, of course, a strong lengthening mascara that does not clump or flake. That's basically the look I usually go for. So whether you like a more natural look or full glam or somewhere in between, you'd love Thrive Cosmetics because you're not only getting quality cosmetics, but you're also contributing to a good cause. And you also might already know of them as they have a pretty viral, vibrant turquoise tube on social media for their mascara. And it is a game changer. It is. I'm so happy that Thrive Cosmetics is not just stunning, but also 100% vegan and cruelty-free. And it's packed with clean, skin-loving ingredients. Their high-performance formula set the bar high with uncompromising standards. So no wonder their bestsellers boast thousands of glowing five-star reviews. And what also makes them even more more special is that every purchase with Thrive Cosmetics contributes to making communities thrive. Hence the name. I mean, it's also spelled C-A-U-S-E, Medics. Thrive Cosmetics. So it's not just about beauty. I mean, they're truly about giving back. So with your support, they donate products and funds to support communities in need through responsive giving. That's why they've been my beauty obsession since 2020. I've been using their Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara since 2020. I mean, this is a magical mascara that lasts all day without a hint of clumping or smudging or flaking. And removal is a breeze as all I need is warm water and a washcloth. Pretty simple. And also here's the best part. The nourishing ingredients in this flake-free tubing formula not only gives you the length and definition that you crave, but also it supports longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It's a love story for your lashes. So Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com magic. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash magic for 20% off your first order. Spring? Is that you? 
Warmer temps mean new Allbird styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a super light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24. Uh, and, and I love that she also acknowledges, oh, everybody has one. So I have, this is mine. What is yours? Mm-hmm. And not feeling also so alone. And I love that she's in a school that is able to work with the way she learns, with the way that she explores this world and perceives this world. Oh, man, if only, if only the 90s, I mean, I was a, in, a kid in the 90s. I was uh, in elementary school in the 90s. And A, I don't know why, but I feel like my parents didn't want to test me because I don't think they wanted me to feel like I was different. But I feel like if they tested me, then it, I would have understood. But, you know, because I, I felt different regardless. I didn't have dyslexia, but um, ADHD, pretty severe, I'd say, because I would not pay attention in class ever. Like, I really did never, rarely ever paid attention in class. I was like, never, never, ever. <laughs> yeah, never, ever. And then maladaptive daydreaming. And when testing came around, like, I had comprehension issues because, you know, if I was, if I didn't care for it, I would not care to even comprehend it. So um, like if it was something I liked, maybe I would actually listen and hyper focus in on it. But otherwise, my mind's just wandering around and thinking of a million different things staring out the window, right? So my school made me feel like this is wrong. You know what I mean? Like back then, they just well, they didn't understand and they didn't know how to to handle it, right to to address it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think that that is really, again, I, I think today we can talk about these things. I think it's becoming, I hope, I think, and at least in my world, clearer and clearer that everybody is uniquely different and it's exactly how it's meant to be. I mean, can yeah. you imagine if everybody was the yes. same, the unfortunate thing? And <laughs> honestly, that's part of what I feel really privileged to have been able to do is to go with this book tour to go to different schools all over the world and speak to thousands of children. Uh, and while I had them and their attention, you know, we did workshops with them about what their superpower was, but they also asked really profound questions like, and and it also taught them a lot about being empathetic. Like a lot of these children do not have any uh, differences in that way in learning differences. And they're like, oh, they had more compassion for the children that are now being pulled out of classrooms, right? So some teachers have approached me wanting to use this as an anti-bullying teaching, you know, opportunity because that's the truth. If you can understand somebody else's struggle you're less likely to judge them or or be afraid of them even, right? I think we stay away from the things that scare us when we see them. That is so, so true. That's why it's valuable for everybody. Even if a kid is thriving in the system that they're working with, I do know that from experience, if you're one of the kids that are pulled away during certain, you know, certain lessons, you were bullied because you were looked at as stupid. I, I thought I was stupid. I did. And I had to grow up thinking that. And I, that's unfortunate. But then I ended up working with it graduated from USC with high honors. And that was only to prove to myself, like, no, I'm not stupid. I've got this. I can do this. Right. And I just had to make it work for me in the system. And I love that Abigail has the opportunity to not only make it work for her, but she also has a system that's working for her. And that's going to even just make her, I mean, she is going to thrive in this world. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. The other day, um, she 
her friend was over. She's from a different school and they have different work, right? So the friend was working on her math and Abby was working on her own math pro- problems. And the friend said, Abby, can you help me with this? And Abby was like, no, 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 I haven't learned that actually, but let me call my sister. She can help you. But I, I, and I was listening from my office and I was like, wow, you know, if my, if that was me, right, as a kid and my friend, I would have like, oh, why am I not learning that? Is she smarter than I am? How come I haven't learned that? What's wrong? You know, right away. She didn't even, it didn't touch her, you know? It was just like, yeah, not for me. I don't know. As my sister. And I was like, that's awesome. (laughs) That is so great. I love it. And how has her brother been? Because it seems like he's super supportive, at least in the book, it looks like that. So she has two brothers and a sister. Um, The brother that you're referencing is Josh. And actually, you know, this is the first book in a series of 10. Um, The second one is actually at the Illustrator now, although I keep rewriting it and that's not really fair to her. I've got to to close it. I just like... (laughs) I'm like missing like the one, there's 1% left that I'm like, huh, but I think, I think I'm there this week. True author right there. True writer. (laughs) He's featured in um, all of the books, but the third book is really his story. So he was born with Down syndrome. I think we've talked about that in a previous episode. Yes. And I think that that's also what helped me help Abigail, right? Because having had gone through that with Josh, where when he was born, you know, the doctor's sat me down and said, you know, he's never going to be able to do any of these things. And I, I was like, I don't accept that. And more than that, I was so young that that pediatrician called in like every colleague. So it was six doctors in the room and me and my husband. And our attitude was like, you know, you don't know really what he's going to be. No, we're telling you, he'll never be able to like, I mean, a list, right? And he was only a few days old. First of all, it's unfair to do that to any parent, right? Because what are you telling them to give up on their child when they're trying to bond with a child that they also don't really understand because this is a different package than they're coming into the world in. Um, And also he can do every single thing they said he'd never be able to do. So early on, I really learned not to take that, that to heart, you know, I, I remember when he started to go to therapy, he had PT, OT, I mean, everything under the sun. I spoke to the therapist and I said, you know, I don't want to hear the negative unless it's really something that I need to be concerned about, or it's dangerous or something that's going to put him in harm. If not, I wanted to stay with the consciousness that I had, which was I'm going to raise him like my other children. And let's see the potential of what he he can become. You know, let's connect the light within him. And the truth is, Josh is all kindness. Like he came into this world knowing things that the rest of us really struggle to embody, which is to be kind to one another and give benefit of the doubt. And I'm going to get emotional and have compassion. And he's just really that that person, you know, and, and the other things that he struggles with that come very easily to us, you know, really, he's not that concerned with it. You know, would he like to drive a car? Yeah. But he knows he's not going to, and that's okay. You yeah. know? Yeah. Um, he loves being driven around. So, <laughs> and you guys are in New York as well. You don't, you know, you don't need a car in New York. No. And he's, he's very independent. You know, he can take yes. a taxi by himself or an Uber. He can take a bus. That's like great. he's, you know, so yeah. So they, I think it made Abigail feel really great in that She's like, oh, you know, I, that's his superpower. And then it was really clear, right? So for Josh, you know, we really see his superpower as kindness. Yes. Um, and then we went around with everybody else in our family. So, yeah, I, I think that um, it's a beautiful example. I mean, I never, I never told my children his diagnosis either until the oldest was 13. And he's like, I really see that Josh is different. You know, is, is there a name to this? And I think one of his friends had said something to him because again, I don't believe even in dyslexia. Yes. We need to have the name. So we understand how 
the mind works so we can understand how to teach, how to parent, how to express ourselves. But that's all you need a name for, right? Then after that, just deal with the person and and really connect to that. Oh, oh my gosh, Monica, you are such an amazing mom. I'm sure you hear that all the time, but I just can't express that enough, you know, and it's amazing that they have a mom as well that has many tools and very open-minded to work with a variety of tools. Love my mom. She's an amazing mom as well, but she did the best with the tools she had, right? And so it's nice that I feel like as, you know, new generations come along, it's just amazing how many more tools we have in order to have more compassion and understanding and help people lean into whatever their superpower is. And so this is so beautiful. And I just hope every mom listening or every auntie listening has their kids read this book because it's valuable beyond measure. It really is. It's really interesting too, because one of the schools, actually, we went back to the school that Abigail first went to and we, we, they invited us and we read the book to all of the four classes, which I thought was amazing on many levels. But for Abigail personally, you know, imagine being able to have closure. Like she just left that school, right? And she didn't really speak to the kids again. And when she left, she had already felt differently. And that's how she really understood that there was something that was going on because she remembers a boy staring at her one day where like they did some kind of like, um, you know, like a testing, like for the whole state. Right. And everybody finished within an hour and she didn't, she was really struggling. And then they moved to the back of the room. The second hour went by and she was still on the test and they'd gone on to something else. And she saw a boy just staring at her and, and not a great way. Right. And she was like, Oh my God, what's the, I'm stupid. Right. That's, that's, and she only told me about it weeks later. So we would go back to that classroom and everybody was like, Oh my God, Abigail, like it was, she just walked in that room. I mean, they wanted her signature, you know, sign their books. Oh and, my, I love and that. Then one of the moms, I know one of the moms emailed me that night and she said, you know, I remember Abigail and I can't tell you how much this helped my daughter who has celiac disease and she was really struggling for second grade. And she's starting to see that as her superpower after hearing her story. But also she had so many friends leave because of learning differences right at the third grade. Cause that's usually second, third grade. Uh, and she didn't understand it. And now you've explained it in such a way that she can comprehend it. And more than that, she has compassion and empathy. So mm. it is, it is a powerful message in a powerful book. Oh my gosh. I wish that this was around in the nineties, Monica. <laughs> and parents, I mean, like I said, I thought my, I think my parents are amazing, but for some reason I always felt, I think it was just because of the way the world worked back then. I didn't want, I felt shame to open up about all of my issues or bullying and all that. You know what I mean? I felt immense shame to even talk to them about it. And I love that she feels comfortable and confident and open enough to talk about this with you. And I think there's just so much value in being able to uh, open up this channel of communication with your kids and making them feel comfortable no matter what they're going through. Because when she's a teenager as well, that's going to be a whole different story. Hopefully she can come to you with everything. A thousand percent. And, And to your point with shame, you know, a lot of parents have reached out after reading the book and they said, you know, my, like one mother, she has three kids and they all have something, some kind of learning difference, different, but, but each of them do. And she said, you know, they get extra help at school. They're pulled out of classes sometimes, but I've never talked to them about what it is. They don't even know. And I said, well, she's like, do you think that's, uh, that's okay? And I said, well, here's the thing they probably are feeling different, right? They, at this age, because they're a little getting older, 
they know that there's something different because they have extra help. They have different kinds of help. They're pulled out of the class. And by you not talking about it, it means that somehow they should feel badly about it because that's shame, right? Like, let's not talk about it. Let's not bring it into the light. Let's just hide it under. By talking about it, you're giving voice to what they're living and experiencing, and then they can fully own it. By not talking about it, it makes it seem like there's something wrong. So I think that that really was... You know, I think that's that's why for parents, and I, I really I think it's important to say that you know if you feel, and you can get to a place where you can see the silver lining, right? No matter what it is, then you can help your child get there. But if you're still stuck and like, oh my god, I don't want them to be made fun of, or oh, I'm really afraid of this thing, or oh, if, what if it's going to limit them and what they're going to do later in life? Then that's really going to be the reality, right? So try to take a broader perspective and see how you can inject light into it, a lightness, right? A way that they can thrive um, and not take whatever the diagnosis or whatever you're seeing, the effect as everything. See what kind of solutions you can find. Awareness is key. And to add to that, I feel like it's very important for people, for kids to know at a young age, because let's say that they do end up somehow finding a way to work with the system, you know, even though it's not how they would naturally learn, right? But they find a way. So in middle school, I was able to work with the system in a sense, but I felt like I had imposter syndrome, you know, mm-hmm. middle school, high school, even in college, because I was like, how did I get here? And when they find out that I can't learn like everybody else, you know, yes, I understand. Yes. And oh my gosh, if only I had some languaging or understanding, like I would have had less anxiety and stress and shame and whole, you know, there's so many different traumas that come from that experience. And so, man, it's so great that kids now are starting to learn about how their mind works at a young age. Totally. I mean, I think, again, the the conversation should start in every household of this is the reality, okay, of the world we live in. We are all different. We are all unique. We all are powerful. And our responsibility is to discover what that is, tap into it, and then allow yourself to be seen. It's not to go through life trying to fit in, trying to belong, thinking that you're the only one who's having that bad thought about yourself or the only one struggling, every single human being is going to go through that process because that's part of life. It's what you do with it that really matters. And that's why I think it just has to be discussed in homes with children of very early age. But again, I think that every adult, right, needs to make sure they're doing that for themselves first. I agree. And your dedication of the book as well made me tear up. Page 36, it says, I dedicate this book to all the children in the world who at one point or another felt judged, weird, excluded, different, ostracized, or stupid. My wish is that we all come to love and accept our differences so completely that we see them as the gifts that they are. Mm -hmm. Period. (laughs) that really spoke to me and also I'm curious what was like writing this book with Abigail how did that process go well again I think a lot of it is it's the conversations that we have together you know and yes and all of the books that we're writing they're all true stories and it's conversations we've had um and she you know like I obviously am the writer. She's the co-creator and inspiration and she's the narrator as well. Right. I feel like you could hear, even though I don't know her, you could hear her voice in it. Does that make sense? Versus the way you speak, you could hear her speak. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) And she's very curious. She's very expressive. Um, And I think that's, again, part of her superpower. She really 
like I'll say something and she'll pause and she'll ask a question that's so profound and deep. And then it will get me thinking and then I'll ask her a question back. So the process is very much like that. And then after I write it, then I'll read it to her and she's like, but I don't think that makes sense or I wouldn't do that or um, that didn't really happen. I'm like, okay, but uh, yes, it didn't really, that part didn't really happen, but that's the creative, that's the creative part, right? That's where you get to add things in and that's the storytelling. So it's a, it's a very fluid, fun process. I love that. And it delves into um, exploring this world that dyslexia is a superpower. Whatever our differences are, are actually superpowers. And I feel like we should define, even though I'm sure a lot of people already know, but in case there's like a mom listening, she doesn't know what her kid is going through and perhaps they're dyslexic. Do you mind describing what dyslexia is? Well, it's really actually, I mean, there are some overlaps, but it's very unique to each individual because there's different um, extremes of, of what that manifests in a person. It could be some people are, have a lot of challenges, some have less. Um, for some language is a strong point for others. It's not like Abigail learning two languages at one time was just no way. Um, for others, you know, it's issues with numbers only for others, it's numbers and letters. And actually there's six different types, um, of kind of dyslexia related, uh, learning differences. And one is like dyspraxia. I can't say all six of them unless I look them up. I can if you want to, but it's just, it affects different regions in the brain and what you can, how you learn basically. So for Abigail, it's mostly letters. Um, And what I thought was really interesting too, when I started to learn more about it, it's like for her, for instance, the letter W, the reason why, I'm sure if you've seen, um, I think I had something she wrote in the book, but the W can be an M, it can also be an E, because for her, it's really three-dimensional. That letter's floating. It's not flat on the page or on the line, like when we read it. So that becomes really tricky, right? And I just think that, again, if you understand how she's seeing things, you're like, oh, wow, it has nothing to do with ability at all, or... Um, or knowledge or wisdom. It's really just like her eyes are almost playing tricks on her. That letter's moving. Right. You know? That is no wonder they're so creative. No yes. wonder they because I mean their their There's minds no, already creating a world. Which yeah, that's amazing. And also I think because they have to do a lot of extra steps to yes. read a sentence or to write a sentence, they really do to kind of like another thing that she does, if she wants to say, for instance, brush, right? Sometimes that word won't come to her, but she's like, oh, the thing that gets the knots out of your hair, or she'll use a different word, like toothbrush, but she knows she's just getting that word kind of mixed up. Um, But so her brain has to do these other things to kind of hold on to that. And because she's going through so many extra steps, first of all, again, crazy perseverance. She's building strength where we don't have to because those things come naturally to us. And that's why she can think out of the box. That's why she sees things in pictures instead of words, right? It's like a whole kind of different realm she's living in, which is really, it can be very powerful if you're not down on yourself. If you're busy berating yourself for why you're not like the person next to you or why you're not learning as easily as they are, you're going to stay stuck in that. But if you embrace all of the ways that you learn that are different and amazing. You're like, wow, how can I use this to my greatest ability? Well, then you're limitless. Good point. Limitless. Yes, good, good point. And I mean, it's going to be amazing to see what I think I'm going to keep up with her journey through the years just to see what evolves from this. And how has she been since you kind of talked about it, but how has she been since she's 
learned or understood how she sees the world and that it's different? How, how does she now operate when she's at school and when she's at home or when she's perhaps doing some like a piano lesson or whatever? How does she operate? So a few things. Um, well, one, she loves reading again. She had stopped. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. She really enjoys that. Uh, two, she has now understood that, you know, this great message of you don't even have to be able to read or write to tell a story. You just have to have vision and have a story to tell. So that was a profound lesson that she learned early on. In terms of um, how she carries herself also, she was really, I remember right before we got the diagnosis, she was so, just if she made one mistake, it was the end of the world. And I couldn't understand where that was coming from. I thought, you know, I'm a former perfectionist. I worked really hard to change it. I'm like, is that like epigenetics? Did she feel that in the womb? Like what's going <laughs> right. on? But I think it was just that she was so aware of the mistake she was making that any mistake was like the end, right? It felt horrible for her. So that's not a behavior anymore, which is really interesting because I could have just like, oh, that's just who she is or personality, which again, I don't accept things like that. Um, and, and now I don't even see that displayed. You know, she really enjoys homework. She really, and the school's great too. They don't want you to get any help at all from home at all. So the next day when she comes, they can see the mistakes she made and they can see why she made them and they can, teacher. Right? That <laughs> just, is so smart. That is so smart. They welcome mistakes. They just say in the morning before you come to school, check your work again, yeah. which is a great discipline, right? Yeah. Um, catch yourself. And then, you know, some of them are just careless, but then the ones that you really fundamentally didn't understand, let's work on it. They also don't give a lot of homework at all, even now that she's in the fourth grade. I just can't say enough about the the method and, and how they, they go about teaching it. So yeah, she's just really loving learning again. That is so great. Oh my gosh. What are those schools? Are, are they called Waldorf schools? Is that what they're called? Or is that something different? This is actually, that's a different school. This is called. Okay. okay. Um, I can take in, this out to uh, not dox or anything. I was just curious what it was called. Yeah. It's a great school, but you can, if you Google it also, you can see the method in which they're teaching. And then there are other schools that teach with that method. And some schools uh, have incorporated that into the curriculum. So um, yeah. It's really great. Interesting. What are some signs? Let's say like somebody's listening and they are seeing these patterns, different patterns in their kids and perhaps their kids having a hard time in school. What's some advice or tips that you think parents should do in order to begin the process of understanding their child more? Talk to them. Mm -hmm. Talk to them and, and make it normal, right? Yeah. Um, if, the, if the child's coming home saying, I don't like school, which Abigail had started doing also, in second grade and saying over and over, so why didn't you like school? What are the issues? When do you like? What what don't you like? Um, how do you feel when this happens? And then don't have a response. Just hold space for the child to share their experience and their feelings. And then you can revisit the conversation later and say, you know, I thought about that thing you told me. What are some options? Should we speak to your school counselor? Do you want me to speak to the teachers? Do you feel like you need extra support? Just, I think the most important thing, hold space for them and make it okay. Everything's okay. Everything's figureoutable. Talk about it. And then step three is take time away, do your research, and then come back and, and offer that, you know, how you can best support the child and their journey. That is so great. Oh my gosh. And I, I know for myself, I didn't really talk with them, but I, um, and even if they tried, I don't know, maybe I would have, but my obvious signs were a literally about every other week, 
perhaps even every week. It just depended on the grade, the teacher, but um, I would fake sick. Of course, most of the time my parents would be like, you're faking it. Mm -hmm. I was very creative in uh, learning how to fake sick. So I didn't have to go to school. And then also what else was there? Oh, I I got in trouble a lot because I would fake notes to get out of things because I just didn't want to have to do that because I was afraid of how I would embarrass myself or show up. And so I got in trouble a lot in those ways. And yeah, instead of you know, parent getting mad. I think it's smart for, I, I, I think it'd be great for parents to, you know, really listen and understand what's going on with the kid. Right. To your point, don't react to the behavior. Yeah. Try to see what's behind it. I always say, even when I counsel couples for relationships, try to hear the want or even the hurt behind the words or the emotions, yeah. right? We tend to focus so much on behavior, like, oh, that person, like even I said, when Abby would get really upset, you know, almost enraged. It's like, okay, what's going on here? I know that that's not this child. But mm-hmm. again, I, I think that I've trained myself to know that I think sometimes parents get scared, like, oh my God, what's happened to my child? They weren't like this when they were four or five. Right. Is this who they are now? Well, no, they're, they're, it's not who they are now. It's who they are in this moment, but still not who they are. It's to try to really connect to that spark inside of them and say, okay, what's covering that up right now? There's always, it's always a starting point, you know? And, and unfortunately, I think we take the we take it so seriously because we get scared. We get scared of change, especially negative change. Yes. Also, some parents might like. I know my parents blamed themselves, especially when we started talking about it when I was an adult about the experience. They blamed themselves because they're like, "Well, we were just so busy all the time. We didn't pay too much attention. We we they didn't really read to me. They like rarely ever read. I don't think my dad read one book to me. My mom maybe." I don't know. They like never really read. Right. And so they thought that that was it. And I'm like, no, it's not, it's not your guys' fault. Like, it's not that at all. It was true. It's truly like how my mind is wired and you know, it's, it's okay. Like, but they, I think they still hold on to this guilt about all of it, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. That's such a good point. You're spot on. Really. A lot of times people, parents don't want to hear their children's pain. It's not that they don't want to, it's just very hard for them to, because they do feel like it's their fault. And, um, yeah, if I was a better parent, this wouldn't have happened to you, or I would have done something about it and I didn't. And all these complicated emotions, just be really simple about it. That would be my other advice, you know, be really simple about it. Okay. Be like a detective, gather information, do research, and then find a solution. So I'm also curious now that you are, you said you're writing 10 books this is a series of 10. <laughs> yeah. What is the, the next one going to be like? It's called The Tale of the Other Glove. And it is about... I like that name. True story. Um, it's about unhoused uh, people. Um, and, it, it, and, and the spiritual teaching or the offering really is how to grow empathy. And so the message, the big message there is that you don't know, you don't need to know somebody's story or how they got into a situation to offer kindness or empathy to them and to really open your heart to them. Um, So, and I want to touch again, like it's going to be issues that do affect our world globally, globally, personally. Um, So yeah, so that's, uh, I'm very excited for that one. I, I love that. Yeah, because it's it's such a it's such a problem today. And I think again, you know, most people are afraid of it. You know, you see somebody in the streets and maybe um, they seem imbalanced or they you know, for whatever reason, but I think also we can remember that nobody started their lives out like that, right? And exactly. there is a story. And even if you don't understand a story, each person 
is a person, right? They have potential, you know, people can change. Um, but we, we need to really be able to see them. I think in my research, what I understood is that the number one thing that people who have been unhoused, as it's called today, but homeless, um, is that they feel like they're invisible and like people just see right through them every day. Right. And that's true. Yeah. Yep. And so a smile goes a long way. I've heard, I've heard that, you know, even if let's say you don't have the money to give them at that moment, I've heard, I've heard at least a smile can go a long way. Yeah, for sure. I think that just being acknowledged, being acknowledged is the first step. Yeah. Yeah. And also I appreciate you saying unhoused, unhoused. I'm using that people who just happen to be unhoused. Are there other books or other teachings, other events that you are working on right now? Yeah, uh, always. Um, I'm working on another book uh, outside the children's book, another um, nonfiction so yes, I'd like to find more time for that, but I am working on that. And my husband and I have our podcast, Spiritually Hungry, and uh, we're actually offering our first retreat is in two weeks, Spiritually Hungry Retreat in Mexico. So yeah, oh, yeah. so always, um, always creating, always trying to anyway. Oh my gosh, retreats are the best. And then what is Abigail? I'm curious what Abigail thinks about her mom being just like such a superwoman, do, wearing so many hats and also being an author and helping so many people. Does she ever talk about that with you? Uh, yeah, I think she's I, she's proud, which makes me really happy. It was funny. <laughs> one of the schools we went to, yeah. this came to my mind when you asked the question. Um, one of the children, God bless them and their purest heart. He's like, oh, are you a celebrity? Are you famous? <laughs> and I was like, I felt uncomfortable mm-hmm. by the question, to be honest. And I didn't. I just didn't say anything. And Abigail like jumps to it. She's like, yes, yes, she is. And the next question, I was like, okay. <laughs> so I was like, look, if, I, if I'm that important to her, that's everything, you know? Speaking of which, one reason why you're here is because one of your fans, I mean, today, one of your fans was one of my friends, was like, oh my gosh, Monica has a new book with her daughter. His name's, do you know, I think you know who he is, Alex Kazemi. Do you know who he is? Maybe. I don't know. I know that he's a co- he loves um, everything Kabbalah. I'm so bad with names it's because okay. I meet so many people at one time sometimes. I know. But I'm it sure if I saw him, um, yes. <laughs> he, he was on my podcast and he was just like, it's funny. I asked, do you have anything you want to promote? That's usually like, what do you have for yourself to promote? Oh, yes. And he was like, um, Monica Berg has a new book out called The Gift of Being Oh, Different. I so appreciate that. I know. I know. He's the best. And yeah, he just really. That's so beautiful. He really uh, values you and loves your work and loves everything you share. So, But I wanted, I wanted to, what's his last name? Kazemi. He wrote Pop Magic. That was the book he wrote. Cause Alex Kazemi. His name is very familiar. I am going to look him up. He's great. Thank you. He's awesome. Yeah. I just thought that was so funny. I've never had anybody promote somebody else's stuff when I asked That's that. That's beautiful. <laughs> I know. He really is a cop. He's really studying Kabbalah for sure. <laughs> oh, he's in it. He's in it. He loves it. Um, and he's in Canada. But I think somehow he tunes in. Do you, do you like live stream or something? Because somehow I feel like he listens to all your lessons. Uh, we do. But I think everything's posted, you know, on Kabbalah.com or mm. um on Facebook or Instagram or, you know, Apple, whatever. Makes sense. He's been on, I think he's also been on three times. And every time he talks about you. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm telling you, he's a fan. Yeah, he's wonderful. Anyway, um, so this is the last question I've asked you before. Well, before I ask you this last question, do you have any other messages that are coming to heart for you? I mean, I think we covered everything. I would just reiterate that, you know, it's, 
life doesn't have to be so hard. You know, even the things that disappoint us or that scare us or um, that make us feel some kind of negative feeling, you know, address it. Yes. But also understand that your experience of it is completely dependent on your consciousness about it and about your life and about your purpose here. So I think so much more time and energy needs to go into that, to what we think and to what we allow ourselves to think or to affect us. You know, oftentimes, again, I hear this too, where children get a diagnosis and their relatives think this, or they think that, or they said this, or they look differently or down at their child. It's like, okay, we can't be busy with really any of that because then you're really going to miss the point to why you came into this world. Mm, yes. Oh, so beautiful. And with that said, this is my last question. I've asked you this every time you've been on the podcast before and every time it's likely going to be different. Today, how would you advise your own magic listeners to create their own magic? You love these big questions at the end. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I would say the one thing that you woke up with today that was worrying you or that you felt not strong enough to conquer or tackle, like really in this moment, as you hear these words, take one step into changing that reality. One step, one step in the positive direction away from limited thinking or negative thoughts or being stuck and just hit one step in a direction that you know is completely opposite from what you're currently doing to help you get there. I love that. One step is something as well for myself with a lot of things I've had to overcome. Just thinking like, just take the one step one day at a time has helped me immensely on a variety of things I've, you know, struggled with in life. So I love this. Yeah. Yeah. Where can everyone connect with you on social media or wherever else? Uh, Social media, Monica Arberg 74 and my blog, rethinklife.today. Go to Kabbalah.com. You can also listen to Spiritually Hungry wherever you listen to your podcasts and you can order all of my books on Amazon. (laughs) All linked in the show notes. And I've read, I think all your books, So yeah, they're amazing. You're a great writer. And yeah, you have, you know, you just have a beautiful way of communicating and have a wonderful perception that helps people expand and grow more compassion and empathy for others. And so I'm just so thankful for you, appreciate you as a person and thankful that you come on this show. And yeah, you're just, you're a phenomenal woman, Monica. Thank you so much. Thank you. So are you. Your energy is awesome and your (laughs) desire to share. I can't take all these compliments and not put them back. (laughs) Well, you know what? You deserve it. Get over it. It's happening. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. Yomis, it is time for the outro. Thank you so much for tuning into the Your Own Magic Podcast for the creative and the curious soul. And don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already to be notified when a new episode is alive. And if you have a spare moment and you feel the nudge to, it would mean the world if you left a five-star rating and review. And I'm looking forward to reading whatever your heart has to say. And feel free to say hi as well and connect with the community by visiting the Your Own Magic Facebook group linked in the show notes. And if you have any future topic ideas or a question that comes to heart you'd like me to cover, then I'd love, love, love to hear from you in our topic box on the Your Own Magic website at Your Own Magic Podcast 
www.guidedmeditationsmedium.com and there you'll also find a membership portal leading to guided meditations by me and some journaling prompts, some spiritual or creative tools, and more. And of course, feel free to stop by the new online shop for artisan jewels, trinkets, and more at eyesofaspen.com. And with that said, have a magical rest of your day. Send him my love. Jai Mat.